Hey lovers. Hello. How are you doing, Caitlin? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's been actually a little bit of a a break since we recorded an episode. I mean, we're recording these ahead of time, but it's been about three weeks. Yeah, I missed you so much. I know. <laughs> I missed our little podcast space, which is Caitlin's husband's office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, got a dog sitting on my lap, and there's another dog on the floor. So. We're all cozy. It's like a rainy Seattle Sunday. Super rainy. Yeah. And just like the perfect day to curl up with a book or talk about them. Or curl up with a fairy tale. Yeah. Or both. Or both. Which is what we're talking about today. Yes. Yes. So I loved this, well, this week or these two weeks of reading yes. fairy tales. Well, to back up. So what we're talking about is fairy tale retellings mm-hmm. and you loved it. I loved it. Okay. Well, I will start by saying that I DNF'd, which means do not finish a bunch of books before I found a bunch that I really loved. And we'll talk about this in a bit, but a lot of them were just pretty much straight up erotica. And I was like, I don't. You wanted more of I the wanted, actual tale. I wanted part an of actual. The fairy tale. Yes, I didn't really want to read erotica. So I, I DNF'd a bunch of books. And then I found a bunch of really, really awesome fantasy and like other contemporary retellings. And I was, I, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I did not love this week's theme as much. I didn't, I enjoyed the books I read. I just, for some reason, had trouble getting into it. And I guess this is our first episode where we're really talking about fantasy. Yeah. But it's like a specific subgenre where these books are retelling like age old fairy tales that we're, we're comfortable with or were, you know, part of our childhood. And I will start by saying that, you know, we have our general content warning of we curse, we talk about sex. A lot of the books we're going to talk about today do have some darker themes. We'll give trigger warnings for those books. And just our intro, when we talk about fairy tales, we're going to be talking about some things that might be triggering as well, like sexual assault and other related things. So that's trigger warning generally for the whole episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this episode, we're mostly talking about fairy tale retellings, not mythology. That will be a separate episode because there is honestly so much. Yeah mythology retellings which i really love and and for people who aren't familiar with the difference so today we're going to focus on like if you think about the brothers Grimm, those fairy tales you might have heard of that a lot of them were remade into disney movies that's kind of the area we're going to focus on versus you know the retelling of the myth of hades and persephone like greek mythology or roman mythology there's a ton of that content as well but Mm -hmm. we'll we'll have to dedicate a whole nother episode to that yeah um kristen what are you wearing on your nails I am wearing Gift of Gold Never Gets Old, and this is in honor of the book that kind of really kick-started our fairy tale retelling love, uh, which is a King Midas retelling. So mm-hmm. gold mm-hmm. nail polish. It's, it is a gold nail polish. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. What and I'm wearing? I'm wearing the Gingerbread Man can, which is actually a holiday color. It's sort of a, like a bronzy brown. It's really pretty. It's even really though it's, it's like spring that we're recording this, and I think it it works right it's now really too. It's really pretty. It um it reminds me of my favorite color. You don't know Jacques, which is a little yes. bit darker, but this is a, it's a good color. Yeah. Okay. So, why do we love fairy tales? And I say, why do we, as in like the two of us, but also as a civilization, <laughs> let's comment on all of humanity <laughs> right now and speak for them. Great. Go. Well, you're the one who wrote these notes, so you can start it off. <laughs> right, okay. I did write these notes. So I thought 
it was really interesting how a lot of the retellings we read were dark mm-hmm. and they kind of subverted the fairy tales that we're sort of used to and they flipped them on their head. And th- that is to say, you know, you have the movie Cinderella by Disney, which is a kid's movie and a retelling of Cinderella that we might have read was very dark or the villain became the hero in it or something like that. And I thought that was interesting because the actual origin for the Disney movie of Cinderella is a much older story that itself was very dark. So like the Disney versions become sort of washed out for children's viewing, but the actual original stories were dark, as dark or darker than some of the retellings we read. Hmm. And I found a couple articles about that, but you know, I'm a history junkie, so I'm going to yep. talk about it a little bit. I couldn't help myself. A lot of the fairy tales we think of come from like Hans Christian Andersen in the early 1800s. You have the Brothers Grimm, who had, did a bunch of fairy tales in the 1800s. Charles Perrault wrote some in the late 1600s. All men, obviously. <laughs> but a lot of those were extremely disturbing. I read up on a few of them. For example, In the Brothers Grimm's original Little Red Riding Hood, the wolf actually eats the girl and the grandmother, and then the hero, like, hunter comes along and cuts them out of her belly. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, trigger warning for this whole episode. In the Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, the original Grimm's Brothers version, the Snow White's evil stepmother gets invited to Snow White's wedding, like, at the end of the story but she's forced to dance in a pair of iron shoes that have been put over hot coals. I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, I think I have too. I feel like some of the original dark fairy tale versions get leaked here and there, and you kind of hear about them. You know, the original Sleeping Beauty from like the 14th century involved rape. Oh, geez. She's sleeping. You know, she's not consenting. And, you know, it reminds me of the origin of the nursery rhyme that you hear about a lot, the Ring Around the Rosie. Mm Mm-hmm. I have heard so much about how that actually is about the Black Plague, so it has really dark origins. I read up a little bit more on that, and a lot of historians think that's actually a baseless assertion based on the timing of, like, when that became an actual rhyme and such. But the point is, I think it's interesting that, like, it was basically, it's used as a children's nursery rhyme, but the, you know, contemplated origins or the suggested origins are, like, this very extremely dark, fucked up thing. Yeah. And the fairy tales are the same. Yeah. I used to have, I think, a book of grim fairy tales mm-hmm. at some point, And I remember reading them as probably someone younger than should have read the original. And was like, <laughs> what is this? I don't know. But it had pretty pictures, anymore. right? I don't even remember. I don't remember. Um, but when I was reading the books for this, I just, it was just, I, there's something comforting about it. Even though some of these were darker themes and they subvert, like, which characters were villains and which ones were heroes often, there's just something really comforting about knowing at least how the story is supposed to play out in, like, the Disney version and the different themes and characters that are there. Yeah. You know, it's good to, like, rem- reminisce about something I watched when I was a kid, and even if it's coming up in a different way. Yeah. I think it's interesting to read it from a romance perspective because, you know, part of, the f- part of what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale is that there is a happily ever after, mm-hmm. just like romance books. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting to read these because you do know how the original or at least like the Disney friendly version of the fairy tale was, but you know that it's going to be retold a different way. So it's kind of like puts you on the edge of your seat where you're really excited to see what the author does creatively mm-hmm. to make it different. And, yeah. you know, we each read a bunch of these books and they were 
all of that different fairy tales, but they all did them very differently and took them in a lot of different directions. And different settings, too. Some of them were more, like, fantasy land. Some of them were contemporary. Some involved magic. Some of them didn't. Yeah. So uh, let's talk quickly about what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale. I mean, we mentioned the happily ever after ending. I think a huge part of it is also there's a fantasy concept and sort of, like, you're in a magical realm. I think... I wanted to say, I feel like all the fairy tales that I know of involve some, like, magical element. I don't think there's any that mm, yeah. don't, right? So there's, like, there's a, you're in a magical realm. The regular rules don't apply. There also is the damsel in distress concept, which is totally a trope in its own. And, like, I actually love reading a book, you know, where there's a damsel in distress and the hero comes along. Like, I, I like those stories, but I think it's different when it's, being told from a woman's perspective and a woman is writing it versus all of these fairy tales mm-hmm. were written by men. Um, yeah. I actually looked up when the original like Disney movies were released. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the Disney version, was released in 1938, which it was way earlier in than my, I thought. In my mind, they weren't even making movies back then. I like, can't fathom <laughs> yeah. that. I don't, my brain doesn't yeah. understand. But so that was made in 1938. Cinderella was made in 1950. Like if I think about the very early Disney movies, I don't even acknowledge those female heroines as characters having personality. Like, mm-hmm. I don't recall, like, I haven't watched those movies in a long time, but I don't recall those women, like, really taking a part in the story except to be, like, this object of, you know, this happens to you and, and then... to be saved. Yeah, yeah, you have to be saved. And so the damsel in distress concept, I feel like, is used poorly in a lot of them. But I think as we move closer towards the time period now, like, a lot of the Disney movies now, and I think about, like, Mulan... And, you know, movies from the 90s. and Frozen. Frozen, exactly. Like, they're definitely switching it up. But there's certainly still a damsel in distress concept. Yeah. I did like that about the retellings that in pretty much all the books that I read, the female heroine was, like, super badass. Yeah. Most of them were really snarky and really powerful, even if they didn't know it at the beginning of the book. And I loved that about this. Seeing the classic story but subverted so that the female heroine is a badass was really nice. Yep. Absolutely. So we already, my next topic was going to be like why we actually love the retelling is we've, we've kind of really talked about that a lot. Going back to the sort of this damsel in distress idea, I think the retellings offer an opportunity, you know, to do a lot of things like subvert the original themes or the original plot line, but maybe sticking to similar themes. But I think it also, a lot of them give the female, the heroine, another type of story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that will pull the female character out of being a damsel in distress or keep her a damsel in distress, but give her other qualities as well and, like, make her a real person. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that kind of, like, picks up where a lot of these original fairy tales or the Disney versions have left off. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about some frequent retellings that we came upon. Before we, we do that, just really briefly, I wanted to talk about Ever After. Oh, yeah. And a couple of, well, two fairy tale retellings that I've really liked in the past, and I rewatched Ever After recently, and it's it it holds up. It's good. I bet you it was, it was 1998, mm-hmm. and this is a movie with it's a Cinderella retelling. It's with uh, Drew Barrymore and Du Gray Scott, who is a Scottish actor. When I looked up his IMDb, he well, hasn't been in a lot, but he was also the villain in Mission Impossible Two. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. I for some reason loved Mission Impossible Two. I saw it four 
four times in theaters when I was younger. I don't know why, but I distinctly remember. You like, saw it four times? I know. I know. <laughs> <You're> so weird. <laughs> I know. That's a, in the theater? That's a weird movie to go back and see four times. Well, I, I totally don't, did. I don't remember that I don't at know, all. I was into Tom Cruise's like, long <laughs> hair at that time. Oof. I don't know. I hate Tom Cruise. I don't know. Past Kristen had some issues, I guess. But the point is, I as soon as I read that he had been in that movie, I was like, oh yeah, that was definitely him. So go ahead, talk about it, because you saw it recently. Oh, well, I just was going to say it's a great movie. I mean, it's it, it basically, it takes place in the past. It's historical romance, I guess, technically. Yeah, there's no magic involved. There's no magic, but she is obviously living with her evil stepsisters and her stepmother, and it actually starts with when her dad dies, and I like, totally cried when I rewatched it. Yeah, because it's myself. And yeah, it's just a great little story. She becomes friends with like Leonardo da Vinci, who's also in that time period. And she's a real badass. Like she... She really... She like... Doesn't she... She fights for the... So she's a a servant in the house. Mm -hmm. And her stepmother has lost all of like all the money for the estate. So she ends up selling one of the servants into slavery. And she like gets a bunch of money and goes and fights for him and then yells at the prince and that it's just doesn't she like hit him in the head with yeah. an apple or something she that's how she he steals her horse and then she and she doesn't him. know he's the prince and so she basically doesn't give him any like respect or yeah. anything she just is like which is a common theme they're like oh i'm into that a woman telling me yes putting yes me in and my even, yeah so even after she realizes he's the prince she's still like mm-hmm, i'm still gonna treat you like a regular person yeah but yes there is that whole idea of like yeah. oh princes princes get treated a certain way this person's treating me like shit i love her yeah you love to see the end of it when the villain gets their due and the stepmother and evil stepsister have to pay for what they've done now i want to go rewatch ever after i I completely believe that it holds up i feel like i saw it maybe like 10 years ago again i don't know why i think it was on netflix the other story is wicked which is a retelling of the wizard of oz the wizard of oz thank you and it's a story in which the wicked witch of the west is the hero and the good witch, so quote unquote good witch in The Wizard of Oz, is her friend, at least in the musical version. And they, they're like roommates at like magical college, basically, and they become friends. And I, can't, I don't remember the whole story. Interesting. I never saw it. I don't know if it's still running even, but I know there I was a... I feel like it is. It probably... I remember... The music is amazing. I saw yeah. it on Broadway when I was in high school, I think. It's incredible. And then I read the book... And the book is very different from the musical. It's like pretty dark. It's definitely more explicit, obviously, and uh, it's really good. But it's it's a subversive retelling of The Wizard of Oz, which I loved. I didn't realize it was a book also. It started out with it as a book, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the musical is based on that. Well, so now moving back to my original point before yes. you so rudely interrupted. Frequent retelling. So we, we both did a lot of research Oh, so we read the King Midas retelling that kind of kicked off our... Yeah, like two years ago. Yeah, two, yeah, a long time ago. But when we were thinking about podcast episode themes, we really wanted to talk about that one. And so then we had to do a bunch of research to find other retellings. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I feel like everything was Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to talk about why we think that is. I I feel like the Beauty and the Beast is a little bit easier to dissect because I think there's just... I don't know, that kind of tracks with the grumpy sunshine trope (laughs) of contemporary romance. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways to make somebody like, quote unquote, a beast. Yes. Like you don't need to make them into an animal. You could make them really scarred or Yeah, or even not not have like physical, uh, you know, attributes that would be construed as being the beast, but like their attitude is beastly or something. And there's also like a little bit of a kidnapping component into it or 
that allows for forced proximity. Yeah. So I, I totally get why that is a pretty common retelling. And I saw it both in a fantasy realm, but also contemporary too. Hmm. So and, and what about the Peter Pan? Because I know you I looked. saw so many. So Hooked, which is the first book in a series that we're going to talk about later, is a Peter Pan retelling. That's contemporary. I thought that was pretty good. But I saw a lot of other Peter Pan retellings where it just involves like there's so many elements to that story i think you could use the lost boys and delve into that you could there's some like some books involving tinkerbell a lot of them involving hook versus peter and like changing the nature of those characters to be good or bad or evil but i just there were just a lot and i think it lends itself to like erotica really easily so some of the ones i downloaded that i thought were just peter pan retellings suddenly were erotica and like (laughs) reverse harem and like everybody's having sex with everybody and i was like okay we just how do we get here? Like, I don't know. And actually, I wanted to bring that up because I think fairy tale retellings are actually a really easy vehicle for erotica because it's a story that you don't have to come up with yourself. You sort of have an easy baseline. You can make whatever tweaks you want, but you have something to start with, which I think is easier for writers. And then you can sort of have fun with like subverting these historical characters and making them into like something really dirty and dark. I didn't think about that as like a reasoning where you already have kind of like the structure of a plot, but then the creativity comes with kind of subverting it and then adding all the sex. Right. And a lot of them are fun, but I was just like, damn, I must have read like started like four or five books and they were all just erotica very quickly and i had to put them down not that there's anything wrong with erotica but i just didn't i wanted to read plot i wanted to read plot yes yeah i also picked up a few and dnf'd a few for the same reason you know beauty and the beast and whatnot i still think the peter pan one is kind of came out of left field for me yeah um but also i haven't paid attention to the original peter pan fairy tale in a long time like i don't even remember what happens i don't really remember so maybe if i went back and read it i'd be like oh yeah i can see how this could have a lot of options but so anyway i also we also saw a lot of series like authors doing so series many. and i think that it just it, for the pure sense that there are a lot of fairy tales and mm-hmm. if you do a series you can again you have a kind of like those plots and characters yeah pre and you can have very different stories but they're all technically fairy tale retelling so you yeah. can group them but i i also will say that some of the books that I read were not super steamy and I didn't care because I think with fantasy, it's just easier for me. I'm just like so satisfied by the plot and the twists that I don't really need the steam. Whereas in a typical contemporary romance, that's just, that's not a retelling. You, you sort of feel like that's part of the formula. I agree. I think fantasy, there's so much world building involved, Mm -hmm. whether you're doing an urban setting or like a pure magical fantasy realm that I usually don't also mind if there's not as much steam because I'm already like enamored with all of the other creativity going on and and yeah. the rest of the the plot but yeah I was so entertained well okay the okay. books yes okay so the first book we're gonna talk about we actually so I, we wanted to do a full episode on the series and then we realized that there's some major spoilers in the first it's book it's so hard to talk about a series in general unless you're like sure that all of your listeners have read it because yeah. If you want to talk about, like, the second book, you have to give away everything of the first book, right. and then you've just spoiled the first right. book for everyone. Right. So we're not doing a full episode on this. The series is called Guild, G-I-L-D, the Guild series by Raven Kennedy. That's not actually what the series is called. It's called the Plated Prisoner series yes. by Raven Kennedy. That's the first book. The first book is Guild, and it's a King Midas retelling. King Midas is the king that everything he touches turns to gold. So this is a retelling about him and 
the main character is actually named Aaron, and she is... A-U-R-E-N, yes. which relates to the chemical symbol for gold. Oh, yeah, and she is his gold-touched saddle, royal saddle, which is basically... A, I don't a whore. Okay. <laughs> um, a gold whore. A gold whore. <laughs> so yeah, the book starts with her observing an orgy between the king and his other saddles, who are not gold touched, and it sort of gets, sets the, saddle, the tone. I, I had never heard of that term before this either. book. The saddle. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a typical okay. term. I think it's really funny though. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny too. Yeah. I was also really caught off guard. Like that was like my first retelling, and I never would have picked King Midas retelling like that felt so random but i'll say like there, there's a reason why this series we wanted to dedicate a whole episode to it it's a fucking amazing it's series. so amazing you have to okay let me just back up Aaron starts in the first book as a very what's the good word for this she's she doesn't value herself a lot and she is very submissive to the king She's timid. Very timid. I just reread part of it on the flight home from my honeymoon, part of the first book. And a lot of times she's like, I know that was my fault or like, you know, he punished me because I did something wrong. And as the reader, you're like, you didn't do anything wrong. This guy's clearly an asshole. But she just has that mindset of like, everything he does is right. She loves him. She worships him. And he treats her like crap, basically. And so you have to get through a lot of that but her character does really develop and by the second and third book she is like fucking phenomenal yeah yeah and then the romance comes into play too and we won't really talk much about that i did find that this series reminded me of the akatar series by sarah j moss akatar is a court of thorns and roses because the first book of that series a lot of readers have also said is a little bit felt a little slow to get into and then the romance really comes in sort of more in the second book. And I felt like this was the same. But I'm really, really glad I stuck with it because mm-hmm. she does grow so much. Mm-hmm. And I think this was originally supposed to be a trilogy. And it's now four books. The fourth book comes out in June. I was so like, it'll be out by the time. Yeah, I was like screaming at the end of the third book because I was like, I won't reveal the plot and it lands on a cliffhanger. But I was like, I can't believe I have to wait so long for the fourth book. I I'm know. So I think I read. Excited. I think I read the first three in like four days. Maybe. Yeah, I yeah. just plowed through them, and and it is steamy. It is steamy. I really like the male hero. Really, really love the male hero. In this, is it just in the second and third books the perspectives start to change? You get different character I think chapters. So. You get chapters from not just the main two characters. Yeah. Like various characters have chapters, which I really liked. There's a lot of magic, obviously, and uh, she's just fucking badass, and I. Loved it. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the fourth book should be out by the time this episode, this episode airs. Up. So we'll have to read it and then talk about it in the yeah. of Friday. But so excited. Highly recommend. If you're going to read one retelling, start with the Plated Prisoner series because it is so good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the next book I want to talk about is actually not a romance. It is just a fantasy. It's a novella, actually, by Alex E. Harrow. Alex is spelled A-L-I-X. She wrote another book that I'm obsessed with, which is 10,000 Doors of January. I read that a couple years ago. It's a fantasy about a girl who basically explores these different realms through various doors. It's so good. And it has a very small romance subplot. And I would say the book I read for today that I'm talking about has a small romance subplot, but it really isn't a romance. Uh, But it fit really well with this theme. So the book is called A Spindle Splintered. It is a Sleeping Beauty retelling. As I said, it's a novella. It's part of a duet, and the second half of the duet comes out in June 2022. And I would describe it as a feminist take 
on Sleeping Beauty. I'm going to read like the first few sentences because it just really, it really grabbed me right from the beginning. So I'm going to read the first few sentences coming from the perspective of the main female character. Her name is Zinnia Gray. And she says, Sleeping Beauty is pretty much the worst fairy tale any way you slice it. It's aimless and amoral and chauvinistic as shit. It's the fairy tale that feminist scholars cite when they want to talk about women's passivity in historical narratives. She literally sleeps through her own climax, as my favorite gender studies professor used to say. Jezebel ranked it as the least woke Disney movie of all time, which, in a world where the Little Mermaid exists, is really saying something. Ariel might have given up her voice for a dude, but Aurora barely uses hers. She has a grand total of 18 lines in her own movie, fewer than the prince, the villain, and any of the individual fairy godmothers. So, <laughs> I was immediately hooked from that. So, is it, it's acknowledging that Sleeping Beauty exists, and then it's... Yes. Similar, okay. So, the character Zinnia Gray, she is someone who suffers from a genetic disorder. It's a made-up genetic disorder, but no one has lived to the age of 22, so much like Sleeping Beauty, and I don't know if you recall that myth. That was my favorite Disney movie. Oh, was it? Now that you've said that it's <laughs> <Not> totally. <laughs> it's totally. Yeah. She was like friends with all the birds. And she was really pretty. Silently friends with all the birds. Yeah. She Silently sang. friends with birds and really pretty. She and she sang. sang. That was her whole and personality. she had great clothes. Anyway, the myth of Sleeping Beauty is that she is basically cursed as a baby because some fairy godmother didn't get invited to the party or some shit and said, when you're 21, you're going to poke your finger on a spindle, which is used to like sew or something, mm -hmm. and then you're going to go to sleep for like 100 years. And so then her father, the king, destroys all the spindles, oh, yeah. you know, in the kingdom and burns them all to protect her. Somehow she still magically pricks her finger on the spindle. She falls asleep for 100 years, and then a handsome prince comes and kisses her. Non-consensually non and wakes her up. Yeah. So the the female heroine of a spindle splintered, this book I'm talking about, much like Sleeping Beauty, she just is celebrating her 21st birthday. She doesn't expect to live till 22. And so just like Sleeping Beauty knows that when she's 21, she's going to go to sleep for 100 years. So there's kind of like some connections there. But she also happens to be obsessed with Sleeping Beauty. She studied folklore in college and she knows everything about Sleeping Beauty and feels a connection to her because of sort of how her life is going to end up. And the whole plot is that her friend throws her a birthday party the night of her 21st birthday that's Sleeping Beauty themed. And there's a spindle. It's like fake. But she pricks her finger on it and she falls into an alternate reality with another Sleeping Beauty and what? she proceeds to save her. And so this really flips the script of Sleeping Beauty. And it to I totally agree that it was a, a feminist retelling. They go visit the like evil fairy who turns out maybe not to be so evil. There's, there's just, it's such a good way to give Sleeping Beauty an alternative ending and really become an actual person rather hmm. than just a woman who sings and plays with birds. <laughs> That's, That's so cool. Yeah, I, I really highly recommend it. And it's, it's only 120 pages. I read it literally while my son was taking a nap yesterday so it was super fast but really really good but like i said no real romance in the plot so cool yeah i love it that's like the only book you're talking about isn't it no i've read a few <laughs> others i just i thought this one i i like pulling in sometimes non-romance books because you know so much of what we're talking about retellings is also just about women's stories and feminism and 
consent and, and so much of that. And I think this, this one really applied. But yeah, I did read some others, even though this wasn't like uh, my favorite other, trope. One other book she read. Okay. I just want to point out that I was on my honeymoon and I managed to read like five or six of these books. Because you just said how much you liked this trope. Don't act like it was a burden. It wasn't a burden. I had a lot of jet lag and it was a lot of me at 4 a.m. in a hotel bed reading uh, fairy tales. It was great. Okay, Okay, go. Brine and Bone by Kate Stradling. This is the first of two Little Mermaid retellings that I'm going to talk about today. Which I, I kind of forgot about The Little Mermaid. I didn't think about it. I'm surprised you found two retellings. I know. I'm thank, a- by the way, thank you to the Romance Books subreddit because I got all of these recommendations from various, <laughs> various posts on there. But yeah, it's a weird... I kind of forgot that existed and then I read a two that I really liked. So the main characters in this book are Magdalena, who goes by Milena, and Finian, who is a prince. Milena is... She's kind of like, I guess, royalty, but she... Probably Milena. Milena? Milena? When? Magdalena. Milena. Okay. I trust my pronunciation more than your pronunciation. Fine. It's very Kate Stradling, feel free to correct us on Twitter if we pronounced your character names wrong. That goes for every author. Oh, wait. I see how it's spelled. Okay. Milena is probably right. Thank you. Okay. Whatever. So, Milena is a royal, and she used to live in the palace with all the other royals, I guess. But she also is a sage, so she has magical powers. But she's not a healer, which is the general magical power. Stop reading ahead. Uh, (laughs) She is a emphatic... What's the word called? I didn't write it down. Let me get back up. Her magic allows her to feel what's wrong with other people, what they're suffering from. So she can touch somebody, like if their shoulder's hurting them, she can touch the shoulder and figure out what happened to them. Like she can see images, flashes of what caused the pain, but she also will feel other people's pain. So if somebody walks in and she's not like shielding herself, if they walk in with a shoulder injury, her shoulder will hurt. So it's both. So Does she, she can like take the pain from them or she no, just No, she can just it. feel it. So basically if somebody comes in and they're like, we don't know what's wrong with them, she can touch them and say, oh, they're they're you know, they have a bullet in their shoulder and they got it from this weapon or whatever. So she works with the healer. She's at a seminary. She grew up in the palace and she and the prince always sort of had an, an antagonistic relationship. It's all told from her perspective. He would sort of pick on her and say things like, you know, oh, Milena's reading a book and she's not going to come with us. So we can't all go do this. And he would sort of just call her out. And so she basically has always been like in love with him, but she thinks that he treats her like a kid and like doesn't like her the book starts down she's really sad because the prince has gone overboard on his boat and has been lost at sea and he's presumed to be dead and so she's crying all night even though she hasn't seen him in four years she's like crying all night she doesn't eat breakfast and then she goes out with the other sages to go to the beach i forget why they go out but she goes out there and she's walking by herself and she sees the prince on the sand and he has washed up to shore and she sort of sees this like sea creature and she hears this weird clattering noise so she's really confused but she doesn't really know what the creature is because it's sort of like foggy out there but basically she realizes the prince is here he's alive so she's like stays with him until people come he's got like weird bruises slash hickeys on his neck and she doesn't really know (laughs) what that is (laughs) well she's like maybe this is a sea creature but she doesn't like touch it she doesn't figure out what it is because she doesn't is he alive he's alive yeah so she finds him and he's still alive and he's like don't leave me i want you to stay with me and he starts acting really weird like she goes she they get him back to the seminary so that they can 
treat him and he doesn't want her to leave the room and everybody else is speculating like all the other sages are standing outside the door like why does why is he why does he have her with him like everybody wants to be with the prince basically and so everybody else treats her like shit both in her childhood because all the women are like competing against each other and in the seminary because they don't understand why the prince wants her by his side so she all of a sudden gets transferred to the castle to be an apprentice because the king basically said, you know, you saved my son's life. I want you to be at the castle. And the king forgot or didn't realize that she is royalty too. He just, he like didn't recognize her basically. So she gets there and they put her in this tiny room and they make her an apprentice. And the prince prince is like, what the fuck, dad? She is royalty. (laughs) She's like a duke's daughter and you have put her here. She's like totally separated from the nobles. She's like, no, no, this is cool. I don't want to be with the nobles. They treat me like shit. The women suck. Like, I don't want to be... And she it's not like a, not like the other girls trope. Like, she doesn't say that stuff. But she's, it's very clear that, like, she's not treated well. So she doesn't want to be with them. Anyway, so she starts working in the castle. And then the prince goes out to the beach and finds a young woman on the sand. And they bring her into the castle. And Milena suddenly has these, like, horrible pains in her legs and basically falls down and is crying and like throwing up from the pain and they realize that it's because she's feeling the pain of this young woman who's sitting very politely and very like normally in this room and she won't say anything and so Melina touches her and realizes that her tongue has been cut out and she doesn't really know she sees flashes and it looks like she's underwater and that somebody has told her like you I'm going to cut your tongue out so you can, you can go do, basically it's Little Mermaid, like, but not just silencing her, like literally cutting out her tongue so she can't speak. And Milena realizes that there's, because she's feeling the pain, she sort of sees through the glamour and realizes that the woman doesn't actually have these beautiful dainty legs. That's all glamoured. What really happened is that they cut her mermaid tail and fashioned these legs out of her mermaid tail. So she's like horribly disfigured well, and in super pain. fucked up. Yeah, this it's went super away that I did not think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the author, uh, Kate Straddling, at the beginning of the book, she basically says this is a retelling of the original incarnation of Little Mermaid, which is which apparently a really dark to, fucking story. Yeah, which goes back to what I was yeah. talking about, those original stories from like the 1800s. Yeah, yeah super yeah. fucked up. So this girl like will not leave the prince alone. Basically, you find out that she's got a get him to fall in love with her so she can stay there and like share his soul and become like a human otherwise they're gonna kill her if she goes back to the ocean and so the other really funny part is that nobody else can say anything bad about her so every time Melina tries to talk to somebody to be like hey she's kind of like this is fucked up something's going on all she can say is oh what is the word she's like uh She's a pretty little, like, she's such a, what a pretty little thing. And then, and then somebody else would be like, yeah, I know she's a pretty little thing. And she'd be like, yeah, I know she's a pretty little thing. Like they're trying to say (laughs) all this stuff. And, uh, she and other people realize that something's going on basically. But yeah, so she has to basically figure out how to, oh, and it it turns out Finian is in love with her and that he wanted to court her and that's why she's in the castle. So she like, which like you can pretty much tell based on his behavior. I feel like you just gave away the entire plot of this book. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Okay, fine. I won't say anything about Finian. The other stuff happens, like, pretty... Does this happen There's just, early? like, more stuff that goes on. So the pseudo-mermaid is obsessed with Finian, and Milena has to figure out how to basically save him from this 
sea creature essentially and that's uh i won't give away the end that definitely is a different retelling it is a different retelling super fucked up yeah really good i really liked it the other little mermaid retelling is called the mermaid's night by jill miles and it's part of her once upon a time travel series so i i this is basically a novella i really liked this i thought it was very cute and clever and i'd be interested to read the other ones but basically Leah and Royce are the main characters. Leah is from modern day and she dies in a car accident. The first scene is her on her body's on the hood of the car and her spirit is like looking at her body like this is weird. I don't <laughs> why am I here? And then her fairy godmother, whose name is Muffin, comes to her <laughs> and is like, You can have a second chance at a life. Like I'll put you I can't put you back in your body because you're dead, but I can give you a different life in the modern time if you can pass this test, the fairy tale test, because I'm a fairy godmother. And she asks her to choose a fairy tale, and Leah's, like, really confused. She doesn't, so the the fairy godmother's like, okay, I'll just pick one for you. And so she picks the little mermaid. (laughs) So Leah wakes up on this beach, and she basically has to go back into the ocean every night to become a mermaid again, otherwise she feels really sick. And when she's on land, she's mute, so she can't talk to anybody, but she has to get the royal guy who's not a prince but he's a um i think he's a baron or something she has to get him to fall in love with her in a month even though she doesn't have a voice damn yeah it's challenging yeah and muffin will come visit her and they'll talk she can talk to muffin but she can't talk to anybody else do you know if the other books in that series are like the same setup where the fairy godmother is like know. pick the i don't know that's a really interesting idea it's really cute so she goes back into obviously it's a way long time ago and she meets this guy and he thinks that she's a spy at first because he's just taken this castle back from somebody else so he thinks she's both a whore and a spy and <laughs> he doesn't believe that she can't talk I did read reviews today and several people were like okay so she can't make any sound when she's being hurt because they like hurt her and realize that she can't even scream but she does moan and whimper during sex <laughs> and, and she can make those sounds different so, vocal cords different vo- yeah, yeah, yeah um fairy so godmother was like we're funny. keeping those yeah. just in case <laughs> yeah, exactly so basically the yeah the prince has to prince she has to make the prince fall in love with her and there's a lot of twists and turns and it's very cute and I really liked it. That sounds really good. Yeah. I like that it's a novella too because I yeah, it's maybe like three, three and a half hours to read. It's yeah. Like a little bit longer than I'm a gonna, typical. I'm one. definitely gonna pick up that one and take a look at that series. Yeah, so that was much closer to the typical the Disney story. I think that's a that's an interesting retelling because that that actually like purposefully puts the character and says, You're just gonna live out the fairy tale. Right. That reminds me of the novella I was talking about, a spindle yeah. splintered, where they're yeah. like here, you're actually going to go into Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. And I feel like that is one way to do these retellings versus the, we're just going to loosely stick to the plot, but, like, the right. characters don't even know that it, like, relates to this fairy tale. It's right. just this is how the world is. Right. And it happens to, right. like, we know it happens to connect to the fairy tale as readers. Yeah. And she knows about, you know, the Little Mermaid, and she'll yeah. be like, oh, at least I didn't have three days. I had 30, you know. Yeah, it was really cute. Awesome. Yeah. So I actually did read more books than The Spindle Swindard, and I'm going to talk about one right now. It's called Wretched. It's by Emily McIntyre, and you briefly touched on the first book in this series. It's the Never After series. Do you want to talk about that for a sec before Hooked. I talk? Well, Hooked is a is a Peter Pan retelling, yeah. and it's her. I don't. I think the whole series is modern day. There's no magic, yes, but it's the same character. So Hooked is where Captain Hook obviously is the is the hero in this story. 
But he's, like, villainous. He's villainous. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah They're not, yeah. like... But he's the male main character. Yeah. And then Wendy is mm-hmm. the female main character. Yes. Okay, so I read... So the first one is a Captain Hook retelling. The second one is called Scarred. It's a Lion King retelling. And I, I'm assuming there... I haven't looked into it, but I'm assuming the male hero is Scar. I think so. I didn't get to start And then one. this last one, Wretched, which just came out, actually, recently in 2022, is a Wizard of Oz retelling. Hmm. I thought it was excellent. It's a very dark romance, but it is a different kind of retelling because, first of all, the female main character is the villain. It reminded me very much of the Mindfuck series that we talked about in our serial killer Wait, episode. who's the female main character? So, let's talk about it. But, so I would say this series doesn't, like, explicitly, well... There's a character named Dorothy, I will say. Dorothy is the female main character's sister, Hmm. but Dorothy's kind of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But she has, like, the pretty brown hair and the blue checkered outfits and the red shoes. Our main female character is Evelyn. She's Dorothy's sister. And there are times in the story where they kind of relate Evelyn to the Wicked Witch. Hmm. It's not very, it's not, like, explicit. No, because this is, there's no magic, <laughs> but like they talk about when she was little and she dressed up as a witch one year. Hmm. And so she is the evil character though, in this case, it takes place near Chicago. Her father and Dorothy's father uh, is kind of like a mob boss hmm. and they basically run drugs and stuff like that. That's basically the premise in uh, Hook too. Oh really? And they have like fairy dust is okay. like the drug. That they're yeah. Like, so here they got poppies. because wizard of oz anyway so evelyn our female heroine is kind of the neglected child so dorothy is sort of the the cherished child as i said she's kind of a bitch but her father like outwardly prefers dorothy evelyn is actually kind of like a business mastermind so she she is ingrained in this like drug business she kills people and not in a way that you could like justify justify like that's why i said this is a very dark romance our hero is actually an undercover fbi agent and so he i think he's meant to be like the tin man because there's a talk even at the very beginning of the book about how he doesn't believe in love and things like that but it was interesting to try to pick out some of the other characters because they weren't other than like dorothy there wasn't a lot of like very explicit connections Wait, the but tin they man were doesn't embedded have a brain the lion doesn't have a heart right the scarecrow doesn't have a heart. a heart. Right, right, right. Scarecrow. What is the Tin Man? I think he like? doesn't have a brain. Maybe he's a scarecrow then. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Hmm. The point is, the biggest connection I had trouble making, I guess, is the male main character. Hmm. But there's other characters in the story that kind of connect and relate. There's a third sister who had passed away, and there's allusions to her being made like Glenda the Good Witch. Hmm. There is a strip club called the Yellow Brick. Um, as I said, there's poppies, uh, which relates to the drugs. Anyway, the point is that this, the male main character, Nicholas, goes undercover and he's on, definitely on the right side of the law. Him and Evelyn end up hooking up kind of before he goes undercover and he knows who she is. And so then they encounter each other again, obviously, when he goes undercover and he sort of has to like make up why he lied to her in the first place about his name and because now he's going by a different name in his undercover persona and he's trying to like ingrain himself in this drug business but he really struggles with the fact that like she's basically you know evil and 
doing all this drug running stuff and killing people and And he he knows it he knows it like he knows it in front of him he's pretending to be part of the mob like he's trying to get an in but at the same time they are ridiculously attracted to each other and they're both a little dominant (laughs) it's very steamy sex scenes i'll say that but it is definitely a dark romance i thought it was so much fun though Mm. I, I just looked it up. The Tin Man is the one missing a heart. The Scarecrow doesn't have a brain, and the Cowardly Lion is cowardly, obviously. Okay. There's definitely a character that it, that resembles the lion. I'm trying to think about who would be the Scarecrow. But so then, yeah, so the Nicholas, our hero, would be the Tin Man. And then, and I think Evelyn's sort of like the Wicked Witch. But I thought it was a really good retelling, and I thought it really weaved in the elements of Wizard of Oz that you kind of think of when you think of Wizard of Oz, like the yellow brick road and like sort of these iconic things. I don't actually remember the Wizard of Oz story very well. Like I haven't watched that movie in forever, but it just, I, every time something came up that I was like, oh, this reminds me of right. the book. I was like, yeah, that's like why exciting, I love, like how they kind of weaved it in. That's um, why I love the fairy tale retellings. I also just really like that it's contemporary because Yeah, yeah. It's and I really like that they made the female the villain because that, I mean, if she represents the the wicked witch, you know, there is, I think there's a common theme in, in retellings to take like the evil character in the fairy tale and make them the main character. But also I think it's uncommon to have the female be the villain versus mm-hmm. the male mm-hmm. be the villain. So yeah. it was really fun. I definitely recommend it. It's on Kindle Unlimited, KU. So, and read all the others too, the other two. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I want to talk about The North Wind, which is by Alexandria Warwick. This is a fantasy retelling of the Beauty and the Beast and Hades and Persephone. So it's a little bit of the myth, but I didn't, I mean, you, you read part of this book. Yeah, I'm still working my way through it. I think I can totally see the Hades and Persephone. I think it works a little bit for Beauty and the Beast too, because, well, so the female character mm-hmm. is physically scarred on her face. Yeah. And the male character is actually described as being like the most beautiful man ever. Yeah. But I think his personality and perceived lack of emotion yeah. is is the beastly part of it yeah yeah so this is part of a series called the four winds and i think each one will talk about a different brother the north wind is basically has has dominion over death the death yeah uh, he's and he's like called the north wind the deadlands is what it's called yeah, yeah basically they used to be in with the gods which is part of the hades and persephone thing and then they got sent to the four corners of the earth and he he has dominion over the deadlands his real name is Boreas, and her name is Ren. So I won't... This is a very long book, and it has a lot of, like, twists and turns. I won't go into the whole thing, but Ren lives with her twin sister in a place called Edgewood. This is a place that's experiencing basically endless winter for the last 300 years. So it's so, called depressing to I know, it was it. really depressing, but I really liked it. The beginning kind of reminded me of Hunger Games a little bit, so... Basically, they live in this place called the Grey, and the Grey is only protected from the Deadlands by this, basically, wall called the Shade, and there's something going on with the North Wind where he can't, he's losing, like, power over the Shade. So basically, every couple decades, he takes a human woman as a captive, and she helps him strengthen the Shade to keep those realms separated. With her blood. With her blood. So she thinks, Ren and all the people in this town that she lives in think that he just takes them and kills them as a sacrifice. And so they take all the unmarried women that are beautiful, and when he comes into town, they basically line them up, and he gets to choose. So Ren doesn't qualify because she's got this hideous scar on her face, apparently, but her, her twin sister is apparently really beautiful, and so she goes to the dinner 
Ren is there as part of the family to help serve them, and her, their parents are both gone, so Ren is like also reminded me of A Court of Thorns and Roses. Like, she does all of yeah. the, which is also Beauty and the Beast retelling in the first book. Yes. No, but, all, but it, like, Hunger Games as well. Like, yeah, Katniss. So, yeah. Is, Katniss, like, Katniss hun- yeah. This character, Ren, she's, like, a huntress. Yes. She is doing all the down and dirty work to, like, take care of her family, which right. is, in this case, is her twin sister. Yeah, she does everything. And really, at, even at the beginning, you're like, um, twin sister, are you pulling any of your own weight? No, like, like are you doing She literally anything? hiked back 15 miles yes. with, like, half of a, like, deer on her back. Yeah. And, and the, then and twin the sister is like, aha, yeah. coloring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really don't like the twin sister <laughs> and that either. doesn't really change. So she is at this dinner and she somehow antagonizes the North Wind. And so he ends up picking her sister. And yeah, she, she like draws attention to her sister. But not on, pur- not not, on purpose, yeah. but because she's so fucking pissed off that like this is a thing that this yeah. guy can come in and basically like choose and take one of their women. Yeah. And and he, her whole life is lived for her sister. Like yeah. she doesn't have anybody else. Her sister's off dating people and hanging out and she's just like totally her whole entire life is for her sister. She doesn't have anything nice for herself. She just gets nice stuff for her sister. No offense, but like, I would never do this for you. <laughs> like, it's not a healthy relationship. I mean, this relationship. Is it's It's much. I, she I has no self worth. I wouldn't do it for you either. Yeah. So. And you shouldn't. Nobody should. Doesn't no, make sense. My sister is really kind of a bitch. She's such a bitch. <laughs> so, but she loves her. So <laughs> she drugs her sister and takes her place and covers up her face for the ride because she thinks that he's going to kill her. So she, she essentially sacrifices her life for her sister. And goes with this guy. And then it turns out that he is not going to sacrifice her. He's going to marry her. And she will be his wife. And she's like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Like, I guess it's good that I'm living. But now I have to live in this, like, death, dead place. Yeah. And all the, all the servants in the castle are ghosts. They take So he takes her through the shade into the Deadlands. Yeah. And the idea with the marriage is that for some reason he figured out, like, oh, if I just sacrifice the woman and take her blood, it's like, doesn't actually fortify the shade very much if i'm like in a union marriage union with her like there's some like magical element yeah. to that if it's given like blood given willingly yeah. over a course of time so that's basically her thing he doesn't he's like i'm not gonna you sleep in your separate quarters like i'm not gonna have sex with you you need your blood and go back to your room right and she is not having it she like she's, i thought she was fucking hilarious she's hilarious she's also she has a drinking problem she's <laughs> an alcoholic in her village yes. and her sister really i think that that lends to her feeling of lack of self-worth because her sister will like get on her case for drinking a lot and she feels like she's trash because she like has a drinking problem even though she's still the only one providing for them and she continues that at the castle she finds like all of the wine stores (laughs) and is just constantly drunk and doesn't care about anything anymore and tries to like gross him out <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, god yeah so much and, and then, she, like shows up to dinner with like blood all over her yeah coat like and, hasn't like, showered and like we are refused to wear <laughs> and he's like clothes. you smell atrocious yeah <laughs> he's like i'm death incarnate and you're disgusting and she's like fuck it give yeah. me more wine yeah so it's a really slow burn both in the relationship and the the steaminess and he's got a bunch of stuff i didn't get past, that far is it a good steam I think so, eventually. Yeah. yeah, there's not much of it. But I, again, I don't, I didn't even, like, I'm not even thinking yeah, about it because the story it. was so good. His brother comes to visit and he's, you know, spring and he's supposed to be, like, he, he makes things grow and, and her, you know, Boreas obviously makes things die because it's all winter. And that's sort of a Hades Persephone, mm-hmm. like, yeah. mix in there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I really loved her 
development as a character and the way that he helps her see that she's a worthwhile human, despite whatever flaws she perceives in herself. There is some closure with the sister eventually, and he as a still a bitch. Less of a bitch, but still a bitch. Okay. She says some things to her where I was like, I'd be done with you. I would be done. <laughs> but then they do come back together. Yeah. And uh, the grumpy hero definitely softens up. There's also just a lot of really cool fairy tale stuff. Like she goes to visit Sleep, who's another god, oh, and steal, his, steal from his poppy fields. And that's really cool. There's all these doors in the castle. I thought that part was that really lead cool. to other realms. Yeah. So yes. she can go and like see a play in like old Paris and... It's that really reminded cool. me of 10,000 jo- Doors of January by Alex. But I think there's only 1,000 Doors. But... Okay. Well. Anyway, enemies to lovers yeah. is the basic trope. But, uh, I'm going to keep it. reading it. Also on Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. A lot of these were because I was on my honeymoon just like downloading you're, shit. You're also cheap. I'm also cheap. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Okay. That's why I'm, I'm borrowing all my shit all the time. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> I also buy books sometimes. It depends. Okay. The Faceless Woman by Emma Hamm is a swan princess retelling. What is that fairy tale? I don't even remember. Oh, I remember that it exists. I don't really remember the story. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That is the extent of my knowledge. It exists. I think she's a swan and then she turns into a human woman and some shit goes down. (laughs) She's like, what are these legs? (laughs) Yeah, I don't really remember. I remember seeing the movie, but I don't remember the fairy tale. Okay. But this is a fantasy series. It's so the other world series is actually there's a, I think a bunch of books and they deal with different fairy tales. But the Swan Princess story is books three and four. So I don't really know. I don't know what's going on with the other books. If they're all duets or if they're, I think they're all different fairy tales. But the characters in this book are Aisling and Bran. Aisling is a witch who lives in the human realm. And at the beginning of the book, the townspeople in the town she lives in come and try to burn her at the stake. Is this contemporary or is it like the 1600s? No, it's like 1600. I mean, they don't give okay. it timing, but well, it's clear that it's old. unfortunate for her. It is, yeah. So <laughs> she sees this, but then this man comes and she can tell that he's not human because he's got like raven feathers on part of his head. And one of his feet is like a raven foot, like it's got claws. That seems inconvenient also for other reasons. (laughs) Yeah. But she basically sees him and no one else can see him because he's like part of the other world. And she curses him to bind him him to her. So if she dies, he dies. And he's not a mortal. He's from the other realm, which is called the other, uh, what is it called? Other world. And so he's like, how dare you bind me? But also now I have to save your life because I will die. God damn it. Yeah. And then... He saves her life, and then he's like, okay, we'll undo this. And she's like, I have no idea how to undo this. Like, you can't undo a binding curse. I don't know how to unbind us. So we need to go. And he's like, okay, well, we need to go to the other world and break the curse there. Like, I have a way to do it, you know? And she's like, okay, I don't know how you do that, but sure. So he takes her to the other world, and he's he's called what's called unseely. There's a whole vocab list at the beginning of the book. Isn't that like a fey term? Yes. So he's fey. There's the Seely Fae, who are just all really classically beautiful. They're good, quote-unquote, good people. Like, they want to live with order and harmony, and they live in one part of the other world. And then the Unseely are all, like, supposed to be, like, grotesque and, like... It's not the only time I've heard that term. I'm really curious as to where it came from. It's really prolific in the Fever series by Karen Marie Mooring. There's, like, that's all about Fae, and they're is the unseely fae who are like, yeah, grotesque and yeah. like nighttime creatures. Yeah, and like, but 
but to Aisling, Bran is like beautiful because she hasn't ever seen really any fae. So she doesn't really know where she came from. She ended up in the human realm. She was raised by a cat, a man who turned into a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like in his man form or his cat form? Well, he is a witch. And because he was about to die, he turned himself into a cat because cats get nine lives. So he can, but he, but he can't okay. turn himself back. Uh, okay. But he basically raised her, and he talks to her, and he can talk to Bran also. Like Salem. Basically, yeah. yeah. He's he's a cat. So he follows them, too. So he's there, and he's always, he has a lot of humor. He's really funny. But yeah, he also, Bran can also turn into ravens. Like, he can, his body will break down into ravens, and he can fly, and like, he'll use his ravens to spy on people and stuff. So it turns out that Bran is not just an unseely fae. He's the unseely prince prince of the unseelie in the other world and she has cursed him and bound them together and he's like what the fuck you are a human witch and how dare you and what the hell so they go and he doesn't want to go back to his family and she doesn't really know why he's like being really they're both hiding stuff from each other oh yeah the other thing the reason this is called the faceless woman is that anybody who's fae can't see her face she's just blurred out basically Hmm. and the reason for that is that her like grandmother the one who brought her into the human realm told her that it was really dangerous for her to be in the other world and if people could see who she was she would be at risk so she basically cursed her to hide her face does brand see her as faceless as well yes he can't see her face he can see her body and he appreciates her body but he's also like you're really annoying but like i like you but you're really annoying i don't know why i want you around now like it's a she's just like a blank face or does she have like a mouth no it's just a blurred out Man. He can touch her face, and he can tell that she's beautiful when he touches her face, but he can't see her. Uh, that changes during the first book. She gets the curse lifted at some point. I won't explain that. But yeah, so she goes on this like quest with him to get all these ingredients to break the curse, and then they end up breaking a curse at the end of the book, and then it's a cliffhanger, and I haven't read the second book in the duet, but it's really good. It sounds really good. It's really good. I really How is it? The... Do we know how it's like the Swan Princess? Yeah. So the prologue describes, well, I don't really, it's kind of a, it's kind of a uh, spoiler, well, but okay, the, the prologue describes how the Raven King, who's not Bran, but the Raven King goes to these like swans that can offer their feathers to anybody and they'll give them one wish. And the Raven King comes to them and is like, I will make one of you human if you give me a feather. And so they finally give one of their feathers away to this guy. And then he turns them human, but also binds them to him in marriage. And so that's like the prologue that we have. And then it goes into her story. So you don't really know till the end of book one how that connects and why, how those two things are related. Got it. But she's, you know, somehow that she's caught up in this narrative. It's really good. Yeah. Are you going to read the other one? At some point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the, well, the, the cliffhanger at the end, I don't know how much time they're going to be able to spend together on the page in the second book, which is why I haven't read it yet, because mm-hmm. I really want to see them together, and the way the book ends, they're like... Maybe it'll be super angsty. Probably really, yeah, you would probably love I it. I love it. It's a book for Kristen, for <laughs> Split sure. Split them off and tear my heart out. Yeah, read read it. Okay. Okay, one more book from me. Well, do you want to, Do you want me to talk next? And Yeah, you can talk about it. I've been talking kind of a lot. <sighs> Yeah, you can talk about it. I did else. read yet another book. You actually read this one too, but I Did will... you even finish it though? No. You didn't finish it. No, I'm almost done with the first one. It's called Gilded Mess by Colette Rhodes. It how many books is it? Four. It's four books. Okay. It's a Goldilocks retelling. Two, it's two duets. Two duets, yeah. So the first two are Goldilocks. What are the last two? The Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. Okay. Mm-hmm. So but I But like 
extremely loosely based. <laughs> okay. So I read the first one of the Goldilocks duet, and it is a reverse harem. And I would say it's it does loosely connect to the Goldilocks fairy tale. Mostly it's just fucking fun it's, and light and happy. Okay, it's basically erotica. Yeah, but with And here's what here's okay, I did read it. I read both of them. <laughs> but the three guys that are in this reverse harem are brothers, and I couldn't get past that. Yeah. Okay. Well let me back up. Yeah. So our main character, our main female character is Aurelia. She goes by Rhea. She is part of a family of shifters. Shifters are basically humans who can turn into animals. She herself is not a shifter, but she is a carrier. So that means she can have shifter babies. Mm-hmm. And she has special healing abilities yeah, yeah. and stuff. She's stronger than Yeah. The it makes person. her very attractive to other shifters who want to start families. Because, because of like, her smell. Yes, because of her smell. And they know that she can produce good offspring. Um, how convenient for her as a woman. <laughs> so she has moved to Alaska from, I think she was in Florida or New, New, York. York. New York. Yeah, she was in New York. And she is trying to make it on her own and like separate, get a little distance from her family, which is a group of fox shifters. She ends up hooking up with this guy and she he convinces her to move up to the woods. And she's like, I'm from New York City. I don't okay. know about this. He's, well, no, she's into it. Cause she, she is wanted, into this. Yeah. But on the ride up, she's even like, I'm well, here's, this, here's, I guess. here's what's confusing to me. They've only been together six months. Yeah. And he's like, come live in this remote cabin with me where you don't even get cell service. I mean, based on her later actions, like, she's not obviously, like, like you said, there. this is a lot of erotica in yeah. here. This, it's less erotica than some of the other books that I read were just, like, straight up erotica. True. But reverse harem tends to have a lot of sex. So she goes to this cabin. She finds out, basically, that the boyfriend is a cheating asshole she he leaves the cabin she gets super fucking high steals a bunch of his shit and then decides to leave the cabin and get back to the road which is supposedly a 30 minute drive away she's on a mountain 30 minute walk 30 minute walk and she gets lost because it's like nighttime she comes upon a house a very very nice cabin the door's unlocked she breaks in she breaks one of their chairs after finding out it's too small. Yep. She takes a bath. She drinks she a beer. She drinks beer. She like eats a bunch of snacks yep. in their beds. And then she goes to try out all three beds. and One of them is just right. One of them is just right. And passes out. Later we switch to another point of view. Um, three brothers actually live there. They are bear shifters. So there you go. Goldilocks. And they are Noah and Seth who are twins. They're in their like late 30s. And then there's Eli in his early 30s. And they come upon her, and they're like, what the fuck? But also, she smells fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and two of the brothers, well, Eli, the younger one, is immediately like, I want to marry this woman. I'm done. And Noah's like, she broke into her house and is sleeping in yeah. my bed. Like, well, no. It, again, with the reverse harem, like, you really have to distinguish the three male characters. And so, yeah, one is like, I am so into this. Marry me. I love you. Marry me right now. One of them, Noah, is just, like, an asshole, and he's like, get away from me, I hate you. And then Seth is sort of, like, the broody artist who's yeah. like, I'm not very talkative, but I really like you. Yeah, he is an artist. <laughs> the, yeah, and so the brothers had decided, they live out here on their, I mean, they don't even have, it's a two-hour hike to the road from their house. They've been alone for a long time, and they had decided a while ago that they wanted to share a mate. Yep. So they've been looking so, for a woman. Yes. So I know you have a problem with the brother thing. I think it works in this context because it is like a fantasy. Yes. It did it did work, but during the actual scene with all of them and her, I was like, mm, 
be weird to me. Like, I, no offense, but if I was, like, having sex with somebody and you were also there, I, that would not <laughs> be a turn on to me. Yes. That well, would be very distracting. I'm into threesomes. I wouldn't do one with you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No offense no taken. Offense. No Thanks. offense taken. Yeah. Yeah. You're gorgeous, but no. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I've only read one other reverse harem where they were brothers, but it wasn't fantasy at all. And I also felt a little bit weird about it. And that's also, lot, that's a lot of dicks. To, like, that's a lot. Well, also then there's no like male, male action, um, which is not a problem that there's not any, but that certainly like makes reverse harems a little bit like it adds another like relationship in there when there's like a male part of it is male, male sexual relationship so anyway it's light it's fun it's steamy they it kind of pokes fun at itself like they make fun of like the bears eating porridge they call her goldie because like yeah she's blonde and they make fun of the fact that it's like goldilocks yeah so yeah it, it's just it's fun yeah. like <laughs> yeah the second two books are about her f- roommate scarlet and i haven't finished that duet but she um she meets three different shifters who are not brothers and it's also reverse harem mm. Yeah, yeah. You recommended this one to me like early on. In no, I just found it. Well, here's what happened. Well, no, you, yeah, you found it and you sent it to me, and I, I found was like, it and this I was like, made for me. Reverse harem. Like, <laughs> I sent it to Kristen. Was like, this is the most ridiculous thing, and she was like, downloading it. Yes, perfect. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like now I've talked about a reverse harem like in every one of our like last couple episodes. Yeah. And I just okay. Last book before we get to the honorable mentions: Wicked, Ugly, Bad by I Cassandra really wanted to Gannon. Read this. You need to. You need to. It's very entertaining. Sorry, Cassandra Gannon. Cassandra Gannon. It's part of her A Kind of Fairy Tale series. This is a mixture of Cinderella and Little Red Riding Hood. Main character is called Scarlet Riding, and Merrick Wolf is the main male character. So Scarlet is Cinderella's quote-unquote bad sister, stepsister, and she's been imprisoned for basically trying to thwart Cinderella's like relationship with the prince. So everybody in the universe thinks that Cinderella like lost her glass slipper and she's the prince's true love and now they're getting married. In reality, Cindy is a total bitch and is very manipulative, super fucked up, which I'll get into in a minute, And but is considered like quote unquote a good person. So in this universe, they have good people and bad people and it's totally black and white. And the good people basically oppress the bad people. And the bad people, like, never win because in all these fairy tales, you know, good always prevails. So they're locking up all the bad people and they just, essentially for being bad, like, for being born bad. It's very meta. So basically, they're locking them up for being born bad. And Scarlet, in the process of, like, unifying people in the prison to sort of help her break out, she also starts this whole social justice movement where bad people should be given a chance and shouldn't be automatically, you know, like written off or oppressed just because they're quote-unquote bad so she forms a relationship with this guy wolf who's like very attractive he's been in and out of prison all the time he also plays this like game i forget what the game is so he's really famous so that's why he always gets out of prison and but he's been used for his body a lot like you know he's he's been oppressed in his own way because he's he's born bad and uh it's very silly it's very clever it's got a lot of different fairy tale themes woven in and eventually they have to essentially escape from prison and then stop the marriage between the prince and cindy because cindy will kill the stepsisters once she gets her way (laughs) it's very steamy but the steamiest scenes are the cinderella scenes and with cindy yeah and this there are scenes between her 
and her human-sized mice. I'm sorry, what? Guards. <laughs> Slaves. <laughs> so, I wish it was this weird. podcast was visual right now because the arm movements you're doing with your face as you're saying this are just, like, priceless, but... I'm sorry, back up, because yeah. what, this is what I read in our in our shared <laughs> Google Doc with notes. Steamy, but very, capitalized, uncomfortable scenes <laughs> with Cinderella and her mice men, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So, but back, first of all, I don't remember, are the mice in the Cinderella, re- like, fairy tale, like, they help her, right? Yes. So, in this case, they're her slaves. She's got, like, a ton of mice, and she's, like, cu- the whole palace is filled with these guys now, because they're on her side, so they can okay. do her bidding. Are they but all she- life-size? Yeah, she, so part of, like, what what Scarlet's trying to convince the people in prison of is that Cindy's, like, really fucked up, (laughs) and nobody believes her, but she's like, no, like, Cindy likes cleaning, we didn't make her clean, she gets off on it, she loves cleaning, and, like, her rats, they call rats, and Cinderella's always like, no, they're mice, but, like, they're probably rats, (laughs) uh, you know, help her out, so Cindy, in multiple scenes, is, like, (laughs) makes her mice dominate her and <laughs> clean the floor and like punish her and she likes being but they look like mice yeah she likes being like <laughs> dominated and forced to clean that's how she gets off okay so those are really <laughs> like i don't know it, it, i didn't it was entertaining to me and very ridiculous but i was also like i don't know if i should be reading this so i am um... You know what? This conversation is more shocking to, like, the Little Mermaid one way back at the beginning of this episode when you're, like, sure, her, they pulled her tail out and made legs and she was all, like, grotesque and, like, deformed. Like, this is more fucked up. I really am now curious. I kind of want to go read no, it. No, you should definitely that. read it. The book, is, the book, the whole book as a whole is very, very good. And, like, those scenes are very <laughs> ridiculous, but they're really funny. Like, it's... It's good. It's good. Work. And there's, but there's other non mice steamy scenes. I think so. Yeah. Okay. You think so? I don't you even remember. remember. <laughs> I read. I read this when I was supremely jet lagged. Also, the mouse scene clearly just really scarred me for life. <laughs> really scarred. That's me. a great ending. No, I'm glad we ended with this one because yeah. I feel like I need like a mental break or I need to like go look up that scene because I'm really curious. Well, it's on Kindle Unlimited, so you can download that shit right now. Uh, Okay, we have a few honorable mentions before we leave. Two I'll mention is a re- kind of a Rapunzel retelling to bleed a crystal bloom. I read this book. I didn't mention it just because we already had a pretty long list, but it's it's kind of a Rapunzel telling in the sense that the female main character is sort of kept in a tower, but she has access to all the lands. There's a lot of secrets being kind of kept about maybe like if she has more abilities it's a fantasy realm, like, more abilities than maybe, like, she thinks she's a normal human, and she's kind of kept away. The The male main character is sort of the, I don't think they call him a king, but he kind of runs the castle, and he is a brooding, grumpy hero, and there's, you know, it's a very slow burn. But it was a good book. It's interesting. She's sort of, sort of like, learning to fight and defend herself. She has, There's some, some other side characters, including a mermaid who is, uh, like, her best friend, and he's really interesting. I would definitely recommend it. I just didn't get a chance to, like, do a full discussion on it. But the only thing I would say is that he, the male main character, actually takes her as a baby because she's, like, left and her family has died. Yeah. And then, so he basically, she basically becomes his ward, and then as she gets older like he falls they obviously they're gonna fall in love with each other and like that presents some 
problems. I think there's a sense that, like, he really hasn't been there. Yeah. And so... She's, he's locked her in a room, basically. Yeah. I mean, she has she can go around the castle, but she's not supposed to go past a certain boundary outside of the castle because it's, like, there's creatures on the other side that will basically kill her, is, the under, is her understanding. But there, obviously, there can be some, like issues for some people reading that book well that's like, that was my issue actually i started that book oh you did 10 percent in and then i was like once it was clear that he was going to be the main yeah. character i was like i don't i'm uncomfortable yeah I don't know. it's a very very slow burn and i i do think there is a sense that he like was just not really there yeah. when she was growing up but it made me a little uncomfortable so i mentioned it i think it's it's still a good, age it's gap fan- is fine but i don't think they should be raising the <laughs> person yeah although yeah it really is like like kind of her maids and stuff raising her but yes yeah Yeah, yeah. i just point that out but it was really good and and the whole rapunzel aspect is interesting the other one i'll just mention real quick is the desperate is desperate measures by katie roberts which is part of her wicked villain villain series katie roberts does do pretty much like straight up erotica and and this is (laughs) no this is definitely erotica it is a retelling of aladdin i would say that the only parts of the retelling that I can sort of grasp from it so far, and I'm about like halfway through, is the fact that the hero is named Jafar. Obviously, they picked the evil character to be the main male character. And Jasmine is the heroine. And Aladdin, or Ali, is actually the evil character in this retelling. Um, there's a lot of sex, obviously. It's erotica. It deals with consensual non-consent. So trigger warning Which for that. Which means what for people? So consensual non-consent means basically like role-playing situations where one of the partners, usually the woman, pretends to not be consenting to the sex. Hmm. So it, and there's, that's like a totally valid thing to yeah. have in your sex life. But a lot of people, that makes some <clears throat> people uncomfortable. So yes. trigger warning for that. On that line, um, Stealing Cinderella by A. Zavarelli is... Cinderella retelling obviously there is straight up non-consent which I so I it takes place in modern day he's the prince of Norway I think and she's living in England and she's basically a servant to her step siblings and stepmom and he ends up stealing her who meets her at the ball he ends up kidnapping her and taking her back to Norway and basically like imprisoning her in his home in Norway he's not the he's not the king yet but he ends up imprisoning her and has non-consensual sex with her and when you're listening to her or when you're reading her chapters she is into it she's like i don't know why i like this but to me it was still it was still on the side of like i'm not comfortable with it yeah i think some people are into non-consent and that's a thing i have a hard time with it and that was my first time reading true non-consent and i i don't think i can the desperate measures is is definitely consensual non-consent but it's sort of played out in her mind where like you could perceive it to be just non-consent except the fact that they actually are talking about a safe word and he like doesn't do anything until she doesn't use it like oh yeah see that there was none of that okay uh there's actually there's a lot of trigger warnings for that book there's actually a scene where he does something to her and she's like really not okay with it and then he feels really there's like some groveling it's a very dark it's very dark it's it's like more erotic than than the other books that i've read in this for this episode but I did like that it was a modern retelling. But I just, you know, as a rape crisis counselor in college, I can't really get behind the non-consent thing. I'm not there yet, so. Straight up non-consent is kind of a line for me. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it is apparently for me, too. Okay. We learn things. Yeah, a really, I mean, for me, really great week. Lots of fantasy. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. 
I no, I did enjoy what I read. I think I actually mostly enjoyed he- like this conversation <laughs> yeah. and like just talking about all this shit and learning about what you read because you read some way crazier shit than I did. I read a lot of crazy <laughs> shit. And I didn't even mention the ones I didn't finish. Because... <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you? Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Cool. So uh, visit us at loveandpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram at Twitter at love and underscore podcast. If you want to reach out and connect, tell us your favorite fairy tale retelling. You can email us at hello at loveandpodcast.com. Do you have a fairy godmother named Muffin? Let us know. <laughs> I know a person named Muffin, actually. Are you a furry? That's Do you know someone <laughs> who is into... That's a different episode. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I think of the mice thing. I'm Ugh, like, God, no. <laughs> don't bring it... Uh, don't make me think about it again. Don't kink shame anyone. Anyway, okay. Yes. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, lovers. See you next time. Go love yourselves.